the ACDC Beyond the Thunder podcast. It's time to power up. Introducing your host, Kurt Squires, with Greg Ferguson and Eric Deal. There's going to be some talking at the show tonight. From famous cartoonists to college professors and war heroes to pro wrestlers, you're listening to ACDC Beyond the Thunder, the one and only podcast that peels back how this seemingly simple band has influenced so many fans in truly electrifying ways. And in this case, even authors, who is not only inspired to write two books about ACDC, but encouraged by Angus Young himself to initially get herself published in the first place. Today, we're sitting down with Wisconsin native Susan Messino, a rock journalist, author, professor, host, now dabbling in comedy, and yes, even the paranormal. I'm your diehard host, Kurt Squires. Our trusty engineer diddling the knobs over there is the unstoppable Eric Kielb, and if I'm not mistaken, that is my partner in crime, Mr. Greg Ferguson, here to help tee up our next literary rock and roll biographer. How are you doing, Greg? Good to see you guys. Good to see you again. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to dig into this one. Yeah, Greg, we had talked about Susan. And in fact, we've reached out to Susan years ago. And you said something really cool that I, I really, you can distill down in one sentence. There's not many authors who have been able to crack the ACDC fortress quite like Susan has. Would you agree? Yeah, like a peek behind the curtain, like that's that hasn't happened. I mean, it's this is exciting. I'm going to hear some stories today. I'm pretty pretty psyched about this. Okay, Greg, Eric, let there be light, let there be sound, let there be drums, let there be guitar. ACDC Beyond the Thunder welcomes let there be rock author Susan Messino. Susan, how are you? Good. How are you guys? Thanks for having me on. It has been countless emails and years of writing back and forth to one another. So now that we officially get to meet face to face, uh, from one ACDC fan to another, we salute you. Oh, thank you. I salute you too. Well, here's my big question for you. Before we get into this, Susan, can you please settle this little known fact for us? Are you the first ever female author to write and publish a book about ACDC? Yes, I am. I thought so. You're one of the first American journalists to interview ACDC during their first U.S. tour. Bring us back to 1977. You were in Madison, Wisconsin, writing for a local newspaper called the Emerald City Chronicle. And along comes this little known band opening up for UFO. And I know you were asked to go down to the venue. I'm not going to ask you to repeat this, the holster because I know everyone asked you the same question. Um, <laughs> but you were basically there to welcome ACDC to Madison, Wisconsin. And all you knew about these guys were from their photos, which was probably pretty sketchy, right? Very, very sketchy. Um, actually, <laughs> I, was, I was trying to um, uh, you know, get into the paper. And, uh, you know, because I was a girl and it was 1977 and, you know, girls didn't do that here. Right. And uh, so uh, the day that Elvis died, August 16th, 1977, I was driving through um, a part of Madison going right by the the paper's office. Yep. And uh, and my lucky my uh, my guardian angel, whoever that is, said, pull over and try to get an assignment. And, you know, and they weren't handing them out to me. Okay. I, they were like, you know, yeah, maybe, you know, that sort of thing. So I was definitely trying to, you know, 
get my foot in the door. So I pulled over, I went in and the editor just uh, had hung up the phone and kind of looked at me like, what do you want? And uh, I said, just, you know, looking to pick up, you know, something, anything, if there's anything you need help with. And the promoter that brought in ACDC into Madison, um, they were called Stardate, based in Milwaukee. And he Mm. had just gotten off the phone with the promoter in Milwaukee, and they were looking for a gopher. They're looking for somebody to just go down to the club, make sure, you know, the cheese slices are straightened out. And uh, you know, and uh, um, you know, and uh, just you just know, just the assignment you wanted, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, and he said, you know, there's no pay, but you know, you could probably get a friend in for free, and you know, whatever. They were playing at the Stone Hearth, which was a um, a club down by the campus here in Madison. Yeah, and uh, and I didn't think anything of it. I just um took off to to go and change clothes to go down to the club. And I turned around and I said to him, I said, well, wh- wh- who who is it? What band? And he goes, I don't know, some band from Australia called ACDC. And I I just thought, oh, well, okay, that's weird. <laughs> you know, you don't, not a lot of Australian bands come through Madison, Wisconsin back in <laughs> right. 1977, you know. Right. And uh, so when I when I got to the club, the first thing that the um, the uh, the guy that was there um, representing Stardate, the, the promoter, um, sent me out to buy Blue Nun wine for the singer. Nice. Now the huh. the band the band was not there; they were out eating dinner. Okay. So there was a three man road crew setting up. Uh, I they had a one page biography with their pictures. Yeah. And their pictures were a little intimidating to say the least. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And then uh, I read it and, and of course they had done a tour of, of England of the the United Kingdom. And uh, it said that they had started brawls from one end of England to the other. Nice. And I thought, Oh wow, this is going to be a fun night. You know, I was, (laughs) I was questioning why I was there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because there was no airplay, you know, they were on their let there be rock tour. Um, The album got no airplay over here. Nobody had ever heard of them. Have you heard uh, at this time? Did you hear about them at all? Have you heard their music? Didn't know they existed at all. Yeah. And I was a big music fan. You know, we had a lot of bands that played the Coliseum here in, in Wisconsin. And, you know, I saw everybody, Pink Floyd, Black Sabbath, you know, uh, Deep Purple. I mean, all of them. But no, nobody from Australia. So I, I get the wine and I come back with one bottle of wine and the guy says, go, go back and get another one. <laughs> By, you know, <laughs> should have bought two. <laughs> but he didn't say that. So I, I went and got that and uh, we, you know, fixed up the, the deli tray and, you know, buckets of ice for beer and, and sodas and things like that. And then I just kind of hung out and actually watched the road crew set up. And the funniest thing is that they were um, trashing and they had only been here a couple of weeks. Okay. <laughs> and they were trashing the United States. Oh, they, wow. they, they were, they were saying derogatory comments nice. about us. And uh, so I got a little closer and a little closer. And the, the one that ended up being, you know, a lifelong friend, Barry Taylor. Um, I, I kind of stepped up and I said, 
you know, the airport's not that far away. I could give you a lift. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, he turns around, he goes, who are you? And I said, who are you? And we hit it off, you know. Instant and, friendship. Yeah, I had a lot of fun talking. The dressing room was above the bar in kind of a loft. I, of course, I didn't know who was who. And yeah. the band started to come in behind me through the door. And uh, Malcolm was the first one in. And I'm backing out of the room saying, you know, soda's there, beer's there, want mixed drinks, come on downstairs, I'll, I'll get you one. And as I'm backing out, this dark-haired guy with tats up and down his arms walks right up to me on the left side of me, sticks his face right in my face and screams, sit. <laughs> like a dog. Nice. Pretty much. <laughs> and and with the looks of these guys, I grabbed a chair, pulled so, it over, and I sat down. And then he, he goes over to the table. He pours two glasses of wine. He comes back over and hands one to me and says, hi, you must be Sue. I'm Bon Scott. Wow. What an introduction. Talk about, I mean, here's a rock and roll pirate. He's always looking for a trifecta of women every night. As you said, he's a guy who would undress you with his eyes. How did you personally deal with being around Bond knowing that you weren't just another groupie, but a serious journalist in the making, you know? Oh, you know, it's weird. I I had a um, an instant connection with all of them. Um, they treated me like a little sister. And I, uh, there was no, I mean, Bon offered more than once over the next couple of years. And, uh, you know, and now, now I, I, you know, I'm sorry I didn't take him up on it. Oh. I mean, you know, that would have made a great story right there. But I, you know, it's funny because I, um, you know, they had Australian, you know, English, Scottish accents. Yeah. Very unique accents. And uh, some of them, I really didn't get really what they were saying, because after a while, you know, I, I figured it out that, you know, they're talking about a bum, my bum, not a bum in the street, not a homeless person. I didn't I didn't get that. <laughs> they, they, they also talked about having a pole and that was not a drag off a cigarette. I figured that one out after a while. <laughs> so, well, so they they did their best. <laughs> and, I, and I just, it didn't phase me at all. I was just kind of like, you know, you just. You were one of the guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I Well, I'm, I grew up like a tomboy. Yeah. Um, I've hung out with uh, bands, you know, I had uh, done that before I met them and yeah. I'm very uh, easy to, to, to get, to get along with. I, I can hang in the corner and they act like the boys and it's not like, oh, she's here. Don't say that. Right. Which right. was really, really perfect for me. <laughs> I remember you said that there were approximately 75 people or so in the audience that night, and they opened with Livewire, and that ACDC were so loud that you moved from the front to the back of the venue. Just the bass line alone blew you away. Oh, yeah. No, I, I backed all the way up to the wall behind the soundboard, and uh, they when they came out, and you know how the, the song starts, you know, with the rhythm section. And I'm, I'm going to say this, Malcolm, Phil, and Cliff, to me, are the best rhythm section in rock and roll ever. Agreed, and yeah. So tight, so just astounding, really. And, I, you know, and like I said, I had seen Black Sabbath. I, I saw, you know, Cream. I saw all these other bands, 
Yes. And I thought I knew what rock and roll sounded like. Yeah. And when they kicked into live wire, just the rhythm section, and then, you know, Bond comes out on stage, no shirt on, you know, super tight jeans. Classic. Spotlight hits him. <laughs> and then Angus comes in and the hair, literally the hair on my arms stood straight up. Wow. I was thunderstruck and, (laughs) and I, I was, and I, um, I knew at the time within seconds, I knew that I was seeing something, a a phenomena that was going to get bigger and bigger. That's cool. And you told, I remember you, you told the guys after watching them, you're going to be as big as the stones and they laughed out loud. And then who would have thought they, uh, Angus was sitting on a couch when I said that to him, when I said it to the whole band, cause I, the whole club that was there was three bucks to get in probably about 75 people. And of course they all wanted to meet the band after yeah. the show. So right. I waited till everybody was done, you know, so I could talk to the band by myself. And I told him that I said, you guys, and it's weird. People say, oh, what was she, psychic? Well, yeah, I am kind of psychic. I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> but but I, but I, you know, I, I looked at them and I seriously, I said, I said, it's going to take two to three years. But yeah. someday you're going to be as big as the Rolling Stones. And they wow. just, oh, my God, they just cracked up laughing. And Angus pulled his, <laughs> his shoe off, stuck his foot up in my face. And says, oh, does that mean I can buy me some new socks? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. He's just one step at a time kind of guy. Well, you know, and now he's what his face is embroidered on everything. Yeah, exactly. I love the story how you went up to Bond after seeing him play and telling him that he'd blown your socks off and he had no idea what you were talking about. Kind of like you had no idea what they were talking about. It's two different languages. He probably had something entirely different in his mind, what that meant. Oh, I'm sure he did. And, uh, <laughs> and he, he looked at me really, he's like, I did what? And I, and I said, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. American slang. Um, you know, and then I just, you know, I told him, I said, you guys, you guys are phenomenal. I mean, um, really phenomenal. So Bonnet actually invited you back to his room that night, did he not? Yes, back to the motel that they were staying in. And you were a, a, a nice young lady and said, uh, maybe next time or something like that. Or how did you do that? I just said, no, thank you. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I found out later, though, that I, I still laugh. I have a couple of friends, um, male friends, that did go back to the motel. And Bond wouldn't let them in because they weren't women. Oh, nice. You once said that uh, Let There Be Rock is the greatest ACDC song ever written, even titling your first ACDC book after it. And now with such an immense catalog, do you still feel that way? I do. I do. It's um, the way they play it, even today, or, you know, recent concerts, that's, you know, uh, one of the 
last songs that they play in the show. And it, it's so prophetic, the lyrics. I mean, yeah. Bon knew, you know, exactly what was going to happen. Yep. You know, someday there'll be 15 million fingers learning how to play. I mean, just the lyrics and just the, the performance itself. Angus, you know, when he does his solos in that, especially he, when, when I first saw him at the Stone Heart that night, when he first threw himself down on the floor, I thought he fell over. <laughs> and then, then he did it again, and I'm thinking, oh my God, is there something? I thought it, there was something wrong with him because, you know, you don't see a guitar player, you know, throw himself on his back and then spin around and then get up and then go do it again on the other side of the stage. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And the fact that he's he, I, the last time I saw them was in Atlanta in 2016, and he still does that. He still throws himself oh, yeah. on his back and oh, yeah. you know spins around. And Greg and I were at the the last show at this point, the last show in Philadelphia, um, with Axel behind the mic, uh, and he was still doing that. I'm like, what is he doing? Just on fire! Unbelievable. And and ACDC is a band famous for pretty much sticking to their set list because they have so many classics. Um, if you were to pick one song that you've never heard the band play live, what might that be? Oh my goodness! Um, oh, there's so many of them. I you know I've pretty much heard everything. Um, they hadn't done uh, "If You Want Blood, You Got It," which is one of my oh, favorite yeah. songs. Yeah, and they did it with Axel. In Atlanta, yes. and I, I actually got teared up. I was, I was like, my song. I know. Axel pulled a bunch of stuff out of Angus, which I think if Malcolm was there, he probably would have shut that down. I don't know if Axel would have even been there if Malcolm was still around, but that's a whole other topic. Yeah, yeah, I, definitely. But I, you know, I, I went there very. Uh, I, I have to admit, I was very skeptical. Um, oh, yeah. You know, like uh, for me, you know, and this might sound a little arrogant, but I'm like Axel Rose on stage mm. with ACDC. Oh, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I went and I but saw yet it. You can't, you can't help <laughs> yourself but go. I love that quote from Brian Johnson, who's like, uh, the first week of playing in ACDC, I realized how hard this is going to be. This is a hard gig. They're such, such a hardworking band. Oh, relentless. I mean, their live shows are like no other. Now, you said that Power Age is your favorite album, a wise choice, not only because it's a fan favorite, but I have another theory. Is it because during the song Down Payment Blues, Bond mentions a woman by the name of Susie, which is around the same time period that you became friends? Could that be a nod to you, Sue? I'd like to think so because um, my friend Barry Taylor, see what happened with Barry is that, you know, he's a roadie with the band yeah. and he asked for my um, number and address the night that, you know, we said goodbye yeah. and I figure, you know, oh, you know, I probably won't ever hear from him again. Well, he contacted me over the next three years. He contacted me every week whether it was postcard, a letter, or a phone call. That's nice. And when they were um, down in Australia doing Power Age, 
Barry mentioned to me several times that he helped Bond with some of the lyrics. Really? Yes. And I was so clueless that I was like, oh, that's nice. You know, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't ask any particulars at all. And then it, it was like 30 years later when I'm writing the story of ACDC, Let There Be Rock, I have their music book of all the, the you know, music tablature book. Yeah. So I studied the lyrics of every single song. Mm -hmm. And when I came up on Down Payment Blues and, you know, realized I've heard it, but it never sunk in. And I, I it just hit me like, oh, no. Uh, wow. Yeah, I think, I think, because Bon, Barry, you know, we were platonic friends, but, you know, we were sweet on each other. We, we adored each other. And Bon liked to tease Barry yeah. about that. Well, Bon had many women in his life, but I do not remember a Susie. I remember a Silver, whom you also met, one of his girlfriends. But um, that's quite a nice tip of the hat. He and he called me Susie. The oh, rest wow. of the band called me Sue, but Bon always called me Susie. I love that. Well, another favorite part of your book was you sitting in Phil's hotel room one night, and he says, check this out. And he plays you the entire album of Highway to Hell before it's been released. That's like a pinch me moment. It really is to me. It's crazy because um, they were on the uh, If You Want Blood, You Got It tour. They opened it in Madison, Wisconsin. They were here the, the night before, and I actually had Barry come over to my place for dinner that night because he actually had time. Yeah. And then uh, so we see them uh, at the Coliseum. And then uh, Phil invites me and a few friends over to his hotel room at the Sheridan Hotel right across the street. And, uh, and he was very excited about this new album that they had, uh, you know, just recorded. And uh, he's like, I got it on on tape you want to hear it and yeah yeah of course we want to hear it and and we heard highway to hell on his boom box and it was stunning unbelievable that's unbelievable and then to have sadly after seeing acdc play on tour to support that album just months after you heard this uh phil play this for you you, you hear that Bond has passed, and you were in your car, correct? And you just pulled over and just lost it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was um, dri driving up. Actually, my mother was in the hospital, and she was dying of cancer. Oh. And I was going up there to see her, and I was blasting the radio. And I've kind of blacked out the, the song that I was listening to, but most likely it had to be Highway to Hell. You right. Know, because that was the, you know, that. was that. the hit. And, yeah. And uh, so, you know, I'm blasting the song and the DJ comes on right afterwards and he says, you know, and that was in tribute to the late Bon Scott that was found dead today in a car in London. And I mean, I might as well have hit a brick wall. You know, yeah. I, I, I had to pull off to the side of the road. Um, 
it was unbelievable. Devastating. It was horrible. Like, like this can't be real. I, at first I didn't want to believe it. I thought maybe this is, you know, something that we're going to find out. That's not true. That's what I was hoping for. So weird. Greg and I had worked with, um, Taylor Hawkins on a, a project in, in California. And then, you know, it's not like your best friends or anything, but you worked with this person and all of a sudden, wow, what happened? Yeah. It's uh, so it's, shocking and so sad, you yeah. know, he, him too, you know, not being what he was only 50 Yeah, and it just, and, and, and I've seen the Foo Fighters and, and he was incredible. Yeah. Just incredible. And you had a, a much more of a relationship to, with Bond. I mean, that that must have been just just tough in general for um, the band. And in in 1980, when I was reading where when ACDC returned to Madison, uh, you got to meet Angus's new wife, Ellen, but also a new singer by the name of Brian Johnson. Uh, did you actually get to talk with Brian or was it just kind of like, I'm the new guy, I got to get out there and do my job? It, it, it was mostly like, hello, how are you? Nice to meet yeah. you. Um, I think he was still probably in the stages of terror. Of, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, you know, he said the first gig they did in Belgium, his knees were knocking on the side yes. of the stage. But um, but I refused. I know, you know, it's kind of unbe unbelievable, but... Uh, Back in Black had been out for about two months almost, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't listen to it. Anytime that they would start it on the radio, I turned the radio off because wow. I, I did not want to hear them without Bon until I saw it in person. Too painful. I, I just yeah. couldn't do it. And so I was there, and I was, you know, the it was sold out crowd, and um, the lights go down. You know, and, and I, I don't know what to expect because I haven't heard any of the new stuff. And the lights go down and then this big bell lowers down onto the stage and starts chiming the death knell. <laughs> and then the lights go up and the, the, the entire audience just exploded. I wow. mean, just went crazy. And Brian, you know, went into Hell's Bells. And it, oh my gosh! I mean, I not only did I have chills, but the tears just started streaming down my face, and uh, I really felt like Bond was standing next to me. And to me, you know, I I I said to him, you know, in my mind, I said, "They're going to be okay, aren't they?" And Bond said, "They're going to be just fine." Well, did you? So I suppose this is a good segue for your interest in the paranormal. <laughs> yes. So you actually saw Bon Scott standing next to you, or you felt him, or did you hear him say that? I, I felt him, and I heard him say that to me. And he has visited me in my dreams at certain points in my life, and uh, very he was very instrumental in the beginning of writing "Let There Be Rock." He um he showed up uh, one night. <laughs> this is so funny because I had no idea I was going to write this book. I was hired to write it. It wasn't something that I thought. Oh, I'm going to write a you know a, a biography of ACDC. I didn't even think about doing that. Yeah. And uh, he came to me in a dream one night, and uh, and I hadn't seen him in a long time. It was very realistic, 
and we sat on my bed and we talked and obviously we he was telling me what what was going to come i don't remember what we talked about but that we were laughing you know we we're goofing around and uh, uh i worked late at night and my husband and son would be asleep when i would write yeah and the ne- and when i woke up the next day i was very sad because it was so realistic you know i was like oh my god you know i feel like bond was was here and my husband calls me from work and uh he said why'd you leave that living room light on last night and there were these big lamps on either side of the couch that i never used at night when i worked i had a smaller lamp on my desk and i said what do you mean i didn't leave a light on and he said well living room light was on this morning when i got up and i i just kind of you know take that as bond saying oh i was here oh wow and what about I gotta I can't ask about Bond without asking about Malcolm now that he's passed. Um, any experiences with Malcolm? Yes, yes, I've seen him uh, several times in my dreams, and uh, you know I feel him around me a lot. Um, I feel like he he looks over me or watches over me. I feel like him and Bond both watch over me, but um, I have seen him a couple of times so far. I I, I saw him more in uh before he passed but i have seen him a couple of times since he passed so the two guys on the highway to hell are now your guardian angels i know (laughs) so that's pretty cool i know you've written a bunch of um non rock and roll related books um secrets of the universe past lives ghosts adventures and more you've appeared on radio and tv um so based on that how does that connect you to rock and roll Oh my goodness. I mean, I think, well, every, to me, everything is connected to the paranormal yeah. and rock and roll, especially I read a story of when they were recording uh, the razor's edge and they had uh, done vocals and um, they came in. I don't know what song it was, but they came into the studio the next day and it sounded like bond was singing background. Yes, you know, you know what, Susan, Greg, didn't we talk with Mike Frazier and he brought that up? Yes, he yes. did. Yeah. 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 He said, wait a minute. Where did that come from? I can't find it on any anywhere. What is that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. He's around. I mean, and what I love most about how they um, remember him is that every time they do Highway to Hell in concert, they show pictures of Bon. Yeah. And, uh, and not a lot of bands do that kind of thing. No, and not a lot of bands survive something like that either. So it's so weird, too, because it was so quick the way they moved on. It was kind of alarming. <laughs> it was like six weeks later, they're announcing a new singer. And I'm not sure how I felt about that immediately. There's no denying Brian. He's just amazing. Yeah, it's hard to talk about that because I felt the same way. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean you found a new singer? Highway to Hell was a hit. They knew the next album was going to take them right over the top. They had management. They had the record company breathing down their necks. And they were pretty much, once they decided, after talking to um, Bond's father, who encouraged them to, you know, you can't quit. Bond would never want you to quit. They had a lot of people pressuring them into... The album started. We got to finish it. You got to get back in the studio and do the job. 
And Brian, I believe Brian, he's so much like Bon, it's it's eerie. His his um personality. Yep. He's always the one making jokes, making you laugh, you know, yes. being silly. Yes. Um, and and Malcolm actually said that too, that when uh Brian auditioned, he was the first person to put a smile on their faces since Bon had passed. Which is amazing to think about that. I never thought about that. That was probably the first time they had ever laughed, you're right, since the death of Bond. And Brian's the guy that's going to do that. That's all he does is crack jokes. Oh, God. He, he could be a comedian. Yeah. He, he could totally do stand-up. I suppose that's a good segue, too, right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were watching some of your bits, Susan. That's kind of, how did that happen? I mean, we have to talk about that. You were at the Savannah Comedy Review, and I have to say, you had some great poise and great material, and it was pretty. You mentioned ACDC, which was cool. Yeah. And the raunch level was right up there. Very inspiring, you know. <laughs> well, I I learned from the best. Okay. <laughs> I was kind of trained by Bond that way. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, we asked a question to Saturday Night Live alum Jim Brewer on one of our episodes. Uh, what's so funny about ACDC? What is so funny about ACDC to you as a, as a comedian well, now? Because, you know, they're this massively huge band, you know, bigger than big. And they still act like they did back in 77 when they had no money. That's their, their personalities hasn't changed at all, Yeah, which is amazingly remarkable, you know. Kept it real. Yeah, I mean, and, and and it's fun because like <laughs> I remember one night I think it was the Ball Breaker tour, and I had you know I hadn't seen them for a, quite a while. You know, uh-huh. uh, they take six, seven year breaks in between, and uh, and I I'm the one that can come up to Malcolm and go, aren't those the same jeans you were wearing in '77? <laughs> <laughs> like, don't you ever buy any new clothes? I mean, you can afford them, right? You know, and that's the the fun part because I they love to to laugh and they're very funny. They're all very very funny people. Yeah, yeah, and they they keep it light, which I think is a, a key to surviving in this business. I'm sure. Well, and and I think to them being raised with George Young, you know, being their mentor, their pop star brother, the family is extremely tight. Yeah, and. Uh, the thing that when when they did Highway to Hell, six different people lost their jobs over that album. Yeah, George, one of them. Yes, George, Harry, two guys at Atlantic, Michael Browning, which is was an amazing man and a great manager. Yeah, I just read his book, by the way. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, was it Eddie Kramer, right? Yeah, Eddie Kramer originally produced it, and he wanted them to add keyboards. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't get punched in the face. I'm not kidding. Yeah, he wanted them to do a cover of Gimme Some Lovin' too. Oh yeah, no, no. I mean I can imagine I I can just imagine what Malcolm thought when right. he brought up the keyboards. That yeah. had to have been a really good moment. <laughs> you know, and that's a great point too, because I think it was um Chris Jericho. He brought something to my ten- my attention I never ever thought of. They might ACDC might be the only band to never have keyboards on a single song. Yeah. 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 Which is pretty amazing. It's probably true. Oh no, keyboards. <laughs> 
it's an insult. <laughs> when you're, when you're, you know, I mean, look at, uh, you know, Angus is, you know, the focal point of the band and, you know, he's an amazing guitar player, but Malcolm, oh my God, he yeah. was a monster in yeah. on the rhythms, you know, it, it keyboards. No, he would slap you. He would totally, he would totally punch you <laughs> in the face. I wouldn't even talk keyboards in front of Malcolm. That, oh. that had been dangerous. So, <laughs> well, we wish you well in the as a comedian. It looks like fun. I know it. It takes a lot of courage to get up there, um, but please don't let that get in the way of your writing because we love your writing as well. Oh, what, thank you. What I wanted to ask you about um, writing because I originally wanted to. I did go to school for journalism, and I quickly changed it because as much as I love journalism, I didn't know if it was going to love me back. So how, how tough is it being a writer? Oh my goodness. Um, if I'm, if I'm writing about something that I love, it's a gift, but it's not easy. Right. Like I really admire people that like pop out a book every year. Yeah. Stephen King. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's not me. When I write a book, especially a biography, you know, takes about a year. The way I write is I kind of have to be there in my mind. And uh, when I was writing Let There Be Rock, I swear to God, I was in 1977 for weeks. (laughs) I know I had, I had 32 years left to cover and I'm, I'm thinking I'm not, this is not going to work. I, <laughs> but, but it was, it was kind of, uh, you know, sad, obviously when Bond passed because he was so much fun to write about. Right. You know, yeah. he had so many funny stories. How do you think ACDC affected your career trajectory as an author? How did they change your life? Oh, they, they gave me a career. I, I credit them with all of that because um, it was more personal up until um, was it 1995 is when I decided to write rock and roll fantasy, which was my experience as a journalist from 77 to 1980. And, and that was, you know, my own memories and stories and everything. Um, But then when, when I was hired to write, let there be rock, I had 32 years of history and I'm, I'm very meticulous about, like I, I literally broke their history down a week at a time. Wow. So, so uh, it was, it was grueling. It was worth it, but I don't know. You know, I mean, it was, it was very, very hard. And what I, what I noticed when I did that, when I broke it down that way, I didn't find um, a break longer than two weeks for seven years. Oh man, how did those guys not burn out? Well, they did, some of them. <laughs> you know? No, they did. I mean, yeah. yeah. I know that it, it was Angus who told you to publish yourself. And I'd never written a book. Gave Angus the, the manuscript. And then I saw him later on on the tour. And he says, uh, you need more dirt. <laughs> and, but I had been turned down by a couple of publishers. Uh-huh. And I don't like rejection. So I'm not not good at that. What do you mean? Most people love rejection, Susan. Yeah, yeah. Especially writers, you know. And Angus was the one that said, publish it yourself. Do like Stephen King, you know, do it yourself. That led to the next book, which led to the Let There Be Rock book. That's so cool. I actually have the book here 
that you sent to me, and it says, to Kurt, wish you the best of luck with Beyond the Thunder, an awesome film, Let There Be Rock, Susan Messino. And it's got the CD in the back here. And uh, I just listened to that. And those guys were not an easy interview. It's like they gave you nothing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> they just goofed off the whole time. <laughs> no, they, they, they messed with me the entire time. Yeah. To, to, you know, Angus or the, the first thing Bond said to me, and I will edit this for you. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm an innocent kid. I'm a 21 year old kid trying to become a writer. Okay. Yeah. And uh, this is the second time I had seen them. They were back on their second leg for only a few weeks in December of um, 77. They were in Milwaukee. Yeah. And I said something very, you know, innocent and cheery, like, uh, you know, well, I'm going to write about you guys. I, you know, I'm going to help promote you. I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to help you guys. And, and Bond looked, and Bond was sitting right next to me and we had the tape recorder stuck down between our legs. Yeah. Like between his leg and my leg. And, uh, and he looks right, you know, right in my face and he goes, if you write anything nasty about us, we're going to F you silly. <laughs> Classy. Classy Bond. Yeah. And then, you know, later on in the in the interview, Angus asked me to marry him. And I say no. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, he asked asked it twice. The second time I said no, he's like, fine, you're too short for me anyway. <laughs> too short for Angus? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's true. Ellen, his wife, is probably like six feet or something. Taller than Angus, yeah. yeah. But uh yeah, they were they were insane that night. They didn't give me I mean it was a rough edit to print the interview yeah because like what did they give me <laughs> not, not a much lot. but no. <laughs> speaking of the down payment blues i sent papers down to the studio in australia so they read the article oh cool that i had written about them and uh and they i guess they laughed they thought it was hysterical so oh that's fun you know uh, greg and i were talking about what sets your book apart from the other 50 books or so that i own about this band and I think it's because you were and you are still friends with this band. It's almost like you're their little sister, I think, as Greg put it. And I think it's so true, right? Uh, how many other books about ACDC are like that? People love it. And I've also been criticized for it. I'm like, well, she's never going to write anything bad about them. She's, you know, she worships them. They're my friends. I mean, I we've known each other for well, what? It's going to be, what, 45 years this summer? Wow. We grew up together. That's, you know, that's... Angus was 22 when I met him. I was 21. Malcolm was 24. Wow. We were kids. What are you going to do, slam them or, you know, take pot shots at them? Well, and, and the thing about it, you know, to me, there isn't anything to say in a, in a negative way because they are so, they're such good people, you right. know, very good-hearted people. Okay, it's been a running joke, the Rolling Stones thing, right? Yeah. Okay, they're now the only band in history to ever co-headline with the Stones at the SARS Benefit in Toronto. Oh, did they did they announce it as a co-headline? I didn't know that. Okay, I was there that day, actually. Oh, my God, I wish. But I, yeah. I actually saw Brian <laughs> right after. I was in Florida on vacation, and I saw him like a day after he came back from Canada and we oh. had a drink and, and had a talk about it and everything. And, but the running joke is like, every time I would see them, I would say the, on the first 
night on the Black Ice Tour on um, November 1st. It was the third night for them. Um, I finally said to Malcolm, I said, now can I say you're as big as the Rolling Stones? And, and he kind of, he, he looked over at Angus and he kind of giggled and he goes, well, I know we blew him off the stage at the SARS benefit. And then they burst out laughing like, you know, naughty little schoolboys. And then the last time when I saw Angus in um, Chicago, when, uh, after they played Wrigley Field, and before we say goodbye, I say, now can I say <laughs> that you're as big as the Rolling Stones? And just like that, he goes, nope, Mick and Keith said they'll always be taller than us. Oh, my God. Always with the one-liners. Yep. That's classic. One-liner, just like well, that within a second, so... I was there that day, and yes, they did blow the stones off the stage. Sorry. <laughs> Nothing against the stones. It's just, you know, factual. But um, Just the way it is. There was a part in your book, another quote that I loved, was that when you, you were talking about meeting Malcolm backstage during the Black Eyes tour, or it could have been Stiff Upper Lip tour, the questions that you asked are so real. And one of those questions was, do you ever look down at your set list and count how many left you have at the end of the night. And he just went, yeah. Yes, he does. Yes. <laughs> and it's such a great question. You know, it's like, how many people are going to ask those empathetic questions like that? Well, I worried about them. You know, I mean, when I saw them on tour, um, you know, 2008, when they took off on the Black Ice tour, which lasted almost 19 months. Wow. And That's they were crazy you know, so sharp and so just there. I mean, very present, very, you know, ready to take on the world. And then a year later in 2009, when I saw them in Chicago, I knew something was wrong with Malcolm, but I, I couldn't, I just brushed it off as he was exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, they're not going to talk about it. That's just not their way. Right. Right. So do you have any, I was curious, do you have any other ACDC favorite ACDC books that you didn't write? I liked Mark Evans' book. I did too. I really enjoyed that. I, I, one of my, I, I uh, used it in, uh, in my book. I quoted him. <laughs> they had played in Paris, and they were staying in a hotel out, you know, on the outskirts of town where you could see the Eiffel Tower. Yep. And Bond, they were out on the, on the balcony or whatever, and Bond was so drunk. <laughs> <laughs> he looked over at Mark and he goes, you know, Paris has one of those too, just like that. <laughs> He's like, where are we? Yeah, really? <laughs> he doesn't care. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I wanted to um, bring up your book, The Story of ACDC, Let There Be Rock, which is now published in a dozen languages. That's mind blowing. How does that even work? Can you name the languages? Some of them, uh, <laughs> like <laughs> France, Spain, Germany, Czech Republic, Russia, Portugal, I think. You know, another favorite part of rereading, I reread, reread Let There Be Rock. It's been a few years, and I have to almost admit that you may have been uh, the spark for Beyond the Thunder because there's so many different touch points about how they've influenced so many different people along the way. And so we have to thank you here publicly for being that person. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. And it's, it's an honor. You know, as I said, 
Um, I was a very lucky girl at the time that I met them. I was very lucky to hit it off with them. And Barry Taylor was a big part of that. Back to the paranormal. Yeah, I've, always, I've always thought that Angus and Malcolm were my brothers in another life. Wow. Because of how they treat me. Can you tell us a, a, a story that no one's ever heard, a conversation you've had with Bon or Malcolm? Well, I mean, not so much with Bon because he was always like just messing around. So we yeah. didn't have a lot of deep conversations, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but, uh, but Malcolm, you know, I, we, we had a good talk, especially, you know, the night in Chicago, the, this I have never revealed before. I saw Brian and Cliff in Florida in 2007. They were on the classic uh, rock cares tour. Yes. Greg and I ran into those guys in Chicago doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and I, um, I had sent Brian a book, but I had uh, not given one to Cliff. So I was able, able to give a, a book to Cliff. And at that moment, and I actually, I had three different major rock magazine publishers that knew I was there and wanted the scoop. What the hell is ACDC doing, right? Yes. So, and I, I've never revealed this before, but Brian and, and uh, Cliff were, were very, uh, very depressed about it because they didn't think that there was going to be another tour or another album. Yes. And I was very shocked by that. Um, very surprised. Yes. And, uh, and they, you know, cause I said, I even said to Cliff, I said, well, you know, what about like a, a smaller tour of just the major cities and, and, you know, and, and, and it had been such a long stretch from stiff upper lip that yeah. they, they believed that they were done. But what's funny is <laughs> I think I came back with no story. Okay. Yeah. So now I, I have like, you know, I think a couple of major uh, editors still don't like me <laughs> because um, I refuse to give them that story. I was not going to tell anybody that because eight months later, they're up in Vancouver recording black ice. There you go. You know, and my intuition told me don't tell anybody. Yeah. And that's why you're still friends. Yeah. yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Brian, a after he left the tour because of his hearing, he actually came to Savannah in 2016 for the car races. You know, oh, he nice. was there with his yeah, friends. Yeah. And I met up with him at the hotel. And uh, and we didn't talk about the band. We didn't talk about the future of, of what was going to happen. We just talked, you know, as yeah. friends. I, I think he was happy to see somebody from back in the day. Sure. And uh, it was a week before I was going to do my stand-up for the very first time. Oh, my gosh. And I told him that. And the, the funny, it was so funny. He grabbed me by both arms and shook me and said, oh, Susie, it's going to be the most terrifying thing you've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And he wasn't wrong, was he? So much better now, Brian. Really. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. So I remember buying tickets for Brian doing some sort of spoken word, sort of stand-up thing, and that was canceled. But do you remember that? I think I do. I think I remember that he was going to do that. He was itching to do a little comedy himself, I think. Oh, he's so funny. He, yeah. I'll, give you a, I'll give you a great quote. Me and my, my ex and my son and his best friend were in Sarasota, Florida on vacation. I contact Brian. He just got back from the SARS benefit. 
we go out for a beer in the afternoon. We meet at a bar and he told us, oh, my God, he does the funniest Keith Richards impression. <laughs> oh, my God. He, and he can do like southern accents. You know, he can do all these things. And then uh, we asked him, you know, when we left, you know, can we get a picture? And, you know, sure. Right. So he comes up behind the two boys, which were nine years old at the time, both of them. And he puts his arms around the boys and he goes, I hope you don't mind me putting me arms around you. Your mom didn't. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, they never cut me a break. I'll tell you that right oh, now. Oh, that's classic. <laughs> wow. Well, we, we, we wish you well on the stage in the, the comedy world. We know that's not an easy gig. And we hope to see another ACDC book sometime or any sort of book. I know you've written some other ones. One in particular was about Hank Williams, correct? Yes. And there is a connection there. We, we Greg and I interviewed uh, Hayseed Dixie, and they thought there was a massive correlation between Hank Williams and ACDC. So. Yep. Oh, there yep. is. Yeah. There, I mean, the lyric writing, you know, the way Bond wrote lyrics, the way Hank wrote lyrics. Yeah. They went through, you know, I mean, they both died in a, in a kind of a similar way of, yep. you know, uh, too much. I mean, when Bond died, when you count the Valentines of fraternity, he had been on the road for 13 years. Wow. He was burned out. Yeah. And the same with Hank Williams is he had back pain. He had a back surgery that yep. didn't work. Yeah. And instead of giving him rest and comfort and hospitalization, they put him back out on the road because nice. they want that money to come in. Right. And, oh, uh, and I love that book. And I, I actually got to do a book signing at the Country Music Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. So, cool. Yeah. Well, and you also wrote um, ACDC FAQ, which for fans who haven't read that, it's basically a massive encyclopedia of tours and albums and producers and studios and awards and uh, a nice little forward by the Chili Peppers drummer, Chad Smith. Um, I didn't know actually he was a fan, but he, he actually wrote a nice little forward for you there. I loved what he wrote. It was, and he does, he loves ACDC. And I thought that was a beautiful, beautiful forward here again. Another one liner from Brian. I gave Brian Johnson. I, well, I gave them all copies after the Wrigley field gig in Chicago. Yes. Were you there? Yeah, yeah, I was there, and then I went to the hotel the next day. But the, the next day, I had a whole stack of books. So Brian comes down in the lobby with some friends, and so I go over to him and uh, you know to give him a copy of the book. I I felt I don't like to intrude, you know, when he's doing his own thing. But but he and he always when he gets one of my books, the first thing he does is he likes to look through it and look at the pictures. Yep. And so he. He's going through it, and, he, and, and and it's a big book. That book almost killed me, I swear to God. It's over 100,000 words. <laughs> oh I mean, gosh, I'm, wow. I still haven't recovered from that book. Uh, <laughs> but he starts looking through it, and he goes, oh, this is, this is kind of like a, a dictionary. And I said, yeah, yeah, you could call it that. And he says, so that means I'm going to read stuff about myself I don't even know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, love that guy. He's always got the one-liners. Oh, they're so good with them. They really are. Oh, here's, I'll give you another real quick one after Wrigley Field. I see, you know, you were there. 
and Angus is twirling around on his back during Let There Be Rock. Yep. And and I'm burnt out from jumping around for over two hours, screaming yeah, my head off. And, you know, I'm exhausted the next day. And uh, so when I was t- speaking with him, I said to him sincerely, I said, you know, Angus, I said, you guys were so amazing last night. And I said, that solo in Let There Be Rock literally brought tears to my eyes. And he looks over at me and he goes, yeah, they brought some to mine too. <laughs> <laughs> never taken a compliment. I love that. No, I, never, I've right? never been able to get a straight compliment in and yeah. get it accepted. <laughs> yeah. They love you. You know, they're always like, if Sue wants an interview, Sue gets an interview. And even Angus's wife is like, uh, I loved your book, Susan. You know, can I have an autographed copy? They're they're so funny. I, I had sent out some books, but I had two copies for Angus and Malcolm for, what, uh, a couple of years after it came out. And I, I didn't want to just mail them. You know, yeah. I didn't want to just put them in the mail. Maybe they'd get there. So they made a big deal when I when we first it was me and my son when we went into the dressing room that night after they played um, I think the Allstate Arena in Chicago, kiss and a hug, hello, sit down. I'm on a love seat with Malcolm. Angus is in a chair. My son is sitting at the practice drum kit because there is no other place to sit. <laughs> nice. And 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 they you know they love to you know mess with you and they don't they don't say anything and Malcolm just turns to me and says me wife bought your book <laughs> and i said you know no smile no nothing and i said did she like it and then they both cracked up laughing he goes she loved it she loved it and and then they gave me a hard time and i think it was really for the benefit of my son they're That's like great. angus goes well you know i can afford to go out and buy a copy but i want a signed copy from you oh cool and uh, and then they did the next day. I dropped it off at the hotel, and um, Angus came down to the lobby to get him, and he was just amazing, amazing That's guy. Awesome. I don't want to wrap this up, but I wanted to wrap it up with talking about ACDC Beyond the Thunder and how this show is the band's direct connection and influence they've had on so many unique people like yourself. As a writer, perhaps you can best wordsmith this heavy question, what's your theory behind why ACDC matters so much? I think ACDC is one of the best rock and roll bands that have, has ever been on the planet. Their lyrics are always, always fun. You know, you don't hear a whole lot about, you know, complaining about things or, you know, the trouble in the world. I always say there's always like, you know, a song for everything. Like if, you know, you, you got to go into, you know, an interview that it's going to be a tough interview. You listen to TNT, you know, if you're, yep. if you're really pissed off at somebody and you want to have it out, listen to, if you want blood, you got it. I mean, yep. it just, they, they, they speak to everyone because they are everyone. They, they, they are one of the few major bands that keep, and I, I can't say for the new tour, I, I can't say this will be true, but all these years, they have kept their concert tickets around $100 a piece. And that's because they know 100 bucks to a working class person is a lot of money. Yeah. So they, they remember where they came from. They love their fans. They know why, you know, I mean, yeah, they're great 
great songs, great performers, but the fans are the ones that made them who they are. And they have never forgotten that. And I think that's why, you know, they speak to, to everybody. It's really hard to find somebody that doesn't like ACDC. Well said, Susan. Are, are there any inside rubblings you want to share about ACDC going on tour? <laughs> Actually, uh, oh. I know they built a stage show for the, the video. So that's all done. Right? Just sitting there. They built the stage before the pandemic, and it's in storage. Before the pandemic, the word was that came from one of the band members to one of the road crew, get ready. And then the pandemic hit. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. knowing, knowing Angus, he does not like, well, and Malcolm too, they don't like wasting money. Mm-hmm. And they, they probably put millions of dollars into that stage. <laughs> so, you know, we might just see that stage one day. Yeah, I I'm praying that we do see them back on tour again, especially in support of Power Up and, you know, yep. and just uh seeing them one more time would be a, a really great blessing for a lot of people cuz they they lift you up, you know? And you can't listen to ACDC to... and feel sad. No. <laughs> you know, true. it's it's impossible. And close to a 50-year anniversary tour right there. That would be very cool. Well, Susan, what's next for you? And and how can we help support everything Susan Messino before we let you go? Well, you know, um, I just hope people buy my books. And uh, I'm slowly working on the stories of my life because I have so many of them, um, including, you know, stories about Les Paul, Van Halen, of course, ACDC, um, I've had a lot of incredible experiences and, uh, you know, I really need to get it on paper because it's all up here right now. <laughs> right. Well, good luck with that. We wish you the best. And um, thanks so much for joining us here today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been an honor. I love Beyond the Thunder and I've been waiting to get on. I know you have. We've been back and forth and um, you're one of our favorite ACDC fans who's got a big heart and even bigger vocabulary so, okay, so the pressure is on for our last question, which we close the final chapter of this interview. If you had one word to sum up ACDC, what is your magic word? Blessing. Wow, that's nice. Bond passed away six weeks later, my mother passed. And oh, wow. if, I, if I didn't have them in my life at that time, I, I don't know how I would have gotten through it. So, and again, I was hired to do Let There Be Rock. It was not my original idea. And I have been blessed every day with um, something that has to do with them. So major blessing. That's awesome. ACDC Beyond the Thunder theme song, Trailer Trash, written and performed by Gannon Arnold. VO Talent by Bruce Jacobson. Cinematography and sound recording by Greg Ferguson. Edited and mixed by Eric Keel. Written, directed, and hosted by Kurt Squires. Produced by Greg Ferguson, Eric Keel, and Kurt Squires. ACDC Beyond the Thunder is a Squires LLC current motion production. Copyright Beyond the Thunder podcast. All rights reserved. This has been a Nat Attack presentation. Shazbot Nanu Nanu.